Hey everybody, it's Bina007 back for another 10-minute movie review and today I am going to talk to you about Yorgos Lanthimos's Poor Things. Now Yorgos is a guy who has created some of the most brutally dark black satires I have ever watched. He seems willing to go further and darker than any director I know in contemporary cinema. I have loved every film that he's made from The Lobster to the Oscar-nominated and winning The Favourite, the film that got Olivia Colman her Oscar. His latest film, Poor Things, is just an absolute joy. It is a riot. It is full of gonzo characters, amazing wacky production design, Emma Stone, fearless in a role that requires her to be basically naked throughout and having a bunch of sex. Um, Mark Ruffalo, just looking like he's having the time of his life. It's the kind of film that is not going to be for everyone, as with all your Slanthemus films. But if you love it, I think it's a film you take to your heart. And along with The Zone of Interest, this really was one of my picks of this year's London Film Festival. So what's it all about? This is a book set in a kind of steampunk Victorian Scotland. It is based on a book written by Alistair Gray that I hadn't heard of. But once I'd seen the film at the London Film Festival this year, I went and bought the book and read it. And it is just as crazy as the film. And I would say that Yorgos Lanthimos has beautifully captured the voice of the author and the spirit of these characters. So if you look at this film and think this is audacious, it's provocative, it is hilariously disgusting, then that is all in the book. And I would highly recommend that, too. The book has been adapted by Tony McNamara, who also um, wrote The Favourite and has worked, obviously, therefore, with Yorgos Lanthimos before. And it stars Emma Stone, who I think needs no introduction, really. She's one of the most famous actresses working in cinema today. A kind of beloved actress, right, from her turns in La La Land and The Help. But in this film, she's just really willing to go there. It's an astoundingly brave and I think career-defining performance as Bella Baxter. And Bella is a Frankenstein creation So she has an adult woman's body, but a childlike brain. So when we meet her, she is acting like a five-year-old. You know, she's learning to speak. She's learning to discover what the world is. And as the movie progresses, we see her kind of go through a sort of mental puberty and to realize what sex is and what languages and what intellectual ideas are at a rapid and astonishing pace. I think this is described in the novel by Alistair Gray that she only knows her adult body, so she has no shame or internalized misogyny. She is free with her body and free with her thoughts because she has not been told by society not to be. And that's what gives the film its audacity and, in a sense, its hope, I think. Bella, as a Frankenstein, has been brought to life by her guardian, Godwin, um, played by Willem Dafoe in some rather hideous makeup. And he lives in an elaborate steampunk world of Lanthimos's vivid imagination. And this for sure comes from Lanthimos, maybe inspired by the most recent revival of Twin Peaks. I think there's something of that in his beautifully Rococo slash steampunk house. 
In Lanthimos's conception, God, as his nickname is, is himself a victim of his surgeon father's experiments. And he has in turn created Bella as a companion and a potential love interest, I suspect. But Bella finds herself falling for the harmless, earnest Dr. McCandless. He works with Godwin as his sidekick. Dr. McCandless is played by Rami Youssef, who I think many of you will know better as a stand-up comedian. But he gives a really lovely, affecting performance. He's probably the one straight man in this film and the one who really gets our sympathy because he's just a a lovely, earnest, kind dolt. So naturally, Bella, who's so full of life and so vivacious, rejects Dr. McCandless and elopes with a charming, roguish lawyer, Duncan Wedderburn. And he is played by Mark Ruffalo. As I said, he looks like he's having the absolute time of his life. Mark Ruffalo, you may know from films like Spotlight, The Avengers, The Kids Are All Right. But he's, I have never seen him have as much fun as he's having here. And the film really kicks into a new gear when they get together and they elope and our adventures with them begin because we escape the house of God, quote unquote, and we go on an uproarious tour of the Mediterranean and of the famous capitals of Europe. They have a lot of sex. (laughs) They eat wonderful food. They dance. They enjoy everything that life has to offer. What's really fascinating here is that Emma Stone, who in a conventional Victorian narrative would have been the person seduced and corrupted and used and exploited for her body. But in this case, it's almost the reverse. It's almost as if Emma Stone's character, Bella, is so voracious for sex that she's the one using and exhausting Mark Ruffalo so that the rogue is in turn out-rogued. But it all comes to an end when... Emma starts to discover her intellectual side and she does so in meeting Martha von Kurtzrock on a on a cruise ship and she is played by the iconic legendary actress Hannah Scheigler who you may know from Lily Marlene the marriage of Maria Brown she's a really iconic European actress and discovers books and intellectual thought and decides that she, while living this incredibly pampered, privileged life, wants to help others. She gives away all of Duncan Wedderburn's money. And this is where the the book and the film take on a really dark turn because they end up in Paris completely penniless. And Bella ends up going and becoming a prostitute in Paris, working for a jaded madam played by the wonderful Catherine Hunter, who I last saw playing all three witches in the Coen brothers' Macbeth. Really phenomenal performance there and here. And it's fantastic. And it's re- it's a really interesting turn of events because even Duncan at this point is shocked and horrified. But Bella still keeps her sexual positivity. She has made the, t- the decision to take on this work. It's kind of... Um, a really radical take on prostitution that she has decided to take on this sex work and does it, you know, until she decides not to. It's it's just um, a fascinating, almost subversive take on the traditional, you know, woman who ruins herself story. I won't get into how the film resolves because it is absolutely fascinating. But I just want to emphasize that this is a film that I found to be along with Zone of Interest, actually, although that's a completely different tone of film and style of film. But both films are doing something that is so audacious, so compelling, and so far removed from the ordinary run of films that they both deserve awards. And I really hope they get them. 
But I do wonder with both of these films whether they're going to prove to be too strange, disturbing and provocative to appeal to a mainstream jury. And I'm just hoping with this one that Emma Stone is so personally popular that it kind of cuts through that. But like I say, this is a radical film. Let me get into the technical aspects of this film. We have Lanthimos's dark gothic imagination brought to the screen with phenomenal production design of Baxter's house, successive interiors. We have his imagination of what these steampunk European capitals are going to be like. It's just so visually inventive and beautiful. And then we have the wildly transgressive costumes that Bella wears, which are definitely inspired by Victorian real dresses, but use really modern fabrics. There's a lot of vinyl and plastic and a lot of body on show. It's, it's probably the most imaginative costume design I have seen in years. And, you know, kudos to Holly Waddington, who came up with this stuff. She also interestingly costumed that Lady Macbeth film that I referenced earlier. A shout out to Robbie Ryan, the cinematographer, for creating, well, both the amazing black and white photography at the start of the film and then opening up to the vivid, lurid, gothic horror colours of the sort of the adventures in the Mediterranean. And also to the brilliant score by Jerskin Fendricks, I think I'm pronouncing it correctly. As far as I can tell, this is the composer's first score, which is just shocking. It's jarring. It's disturbingly brilliant. Um, It really adds to the film. It feels to me like every element of the crew has come together and been unleashed to deliver a heightened sensual experience that frames and enables Stone's outlandish but also deeply moving performance. And honestly, this is an Oscar-winning performance. It's an Oscar-worthy performance. Like I said, it may be too much for the Academy, but my God, kudos to Emma Stone for breaking out of a rather safe image to do something so daring and so provocative. This entire film is complete filmmaking of an extraordinary level of skill and accomplishment. Um, It's a film, in my mind, not to be missed. It's one of the best of 2023. And I really hope you make the effort to seek it out and watch it. The film Poor Things is rated R. (laughs) There is a lot of sex in this film and nudity. It has a running time of 141 minutes, but it never feels long to me. It has such a pace to it. It was released at the Venice Film Festival. It also played Telluride this year and the BFI London Film Festival. It was released in a very limited release in the United States on December 8th, but goes on a wider release in the US this Friday, December 22nd. So if you don't live in New York or LA, then look out for it on release in the US. And in the United Kingdom, it goes on release in, on January the 12th, 2024. So I hope you really enjoy Poor Things. I think it's one of the most fun films I've seen in a long time. It is not for everyone, but I think if you love it, you're going to absolutely adore it. Feel free to leave a comment on the YouTube channel or alternatively go to bina007.com where you can find full written reviews. In the meanwhile, thank you for listening.